Welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. My guest this week, you might be familiar with him, Josh Robbins. He covers the Washington Wizards. Difficult to say. Difficult to, to get through for the athletic. Um, but how long, Josh? How long did you cover the Orlando Magic? Uh, it was it, it was it was season 13. This is this is this began the season season 13 since 08 I was involved. And how long with the athletics specifically? Uh, since uh, I, it's been three four years now. Wow. Three four years. So 12 years and change uh, covering the Orlando Magic. Um, many with the Orlando Sentinel, and then of course now with the athletic. We just lost him to Washington D.C. very recently, but. Uh, we know he's doing a great job up there. And the beauty, Josh, and I said this on the radio, is at least you didn't go to Utah or something. At least we get to see you twice a year here in Central Florida and uh, and maybe chat with you when the Magic go up there twice a year. Uh, if you had to leave, a division rival, I think, was that was optimal. Thank you. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't been too tough to tolerate over 13 years. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about first and foremost. And, and I told you when I reached out to you that this isn't going to be too reflective a podcast. We are going to talk about basketball, but when you look back on it, and 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 you're, you know, as often is the case, especially when it happens mid-season, uh, professional departure happens very very fast. You got to get up there. You got more games to cover. You got a place to find. Whatever, whatever. Um, but but did you feel the love on your way out? I mean, I think, I I, I think you've done you did such a great job of covering the team and and being objective and being a journalist. Um, but also being fair. And so within the organization, within the media party, everybody was bummed to see you leave, um, but thankful for the job that you did and, and happy for you to, to go back home to D.C. Well, when I – so everything happened so quickly, yeah, so quickly. And, uh, you know, this is something I asked to do. Yeah, I wasn't – I wasn't traded – you know, I wasn't traded – um, to from one market to another by my news outlet, I I I applied for a job because I I wanted uh, to be in Washington. I wanted to cover the Washington Wizards. That's home. That's home. Um, I and it hap it happened so quickly in part because I had there was a death in my family and uh, so I was occupied with a, a million different things and still am uh, I was not in any way shape or form or remotely close to prepared for the outpouring I received from readers I never expected it I never expected um, anything remotely close to that and it's it, it was overwhelming it shocked it shocked me um, I, I'm still processing it I've tried and failed so far to respond respond to every single note I've received and I'm so far behind and I'm also so far behind on everyone who's reached out to me via text and voicemail about my dad's death um, it's been an absolute total whirlwind and it <laughs> you mentioned what it's like to have an in-season change well now I get a good sense of what it's like to be a player mm. and to be traded mid-season. Yeah, I don't I don't remember many times over the last 13 years in which a beat writer covering a team uh, suddenly started to cover a different team. 
So that's another thing that's going on, and and it's um, it's interesting to, to to deal with and to and to and to in, uh, endure. It's not really something I'm enduring. It's happy to do it, but there I am. I'm rambling. This is yet another reason why I'm better asking the questions than answering well, them. Well, it's no, but, Josh. It's, you're, a, you're not rambling. You're you're talking about something that's emotional. But B, I think there's. I think there are so many different elements to it that that people don't necessarily, you know, take into account. I have I have a, a it's not even a similar experience, but I left the Pistons in February and I was I was freelancing for the Pistons. So I was traveling with them um, on most trips and I was at every home game, but I wasn't doing it was the final year of the contract had died, whatever. Um and so I was with the Pistons and then I was part-time working at a radio station doing um, updates and it was Super Bowl Sunday and I had taken a job in Cleveland as the producer of the midday show. I do updates on Super Bowl Sunday in Detroit until 6 p.m. Packed, my car was packed. I drove to Cleveland and I was on the air the next morning at 10 a.m. And it was the day after the Super Bowl when the Eagles won. And then as soon as I got there, my boss was like, well, you have all this NBA experience. We want you to cover the Cavs as well. <laughs> as well. And so it's in 2018. It was the year the Cavs ended up going to the finals, that crazy final year with LeBron. And it was it was hard to program my brain, Josh. And it might, might be even a little easier for you because you're still covering the same sport. Um, just to turn like that into a different into a different broadcaster and you know it, it, everything changed on my on my job responsibilities overnight and of course you can prepare for it but there is no way to actually start dealing with it until you dive in you're so right you're so and i didn't know any of that really with you and no one has described it better to me um than you have just now you, you get it a hundred percent one hundred percent and <laughs> i'm so darn disoriented in many ways which is but what do you exciting do? you pour in you pour into the work well yes and um you know i've been processing a lot of things with my dad you know my dad died at the age of 87 don't worry don't worry about me anyone who's listening i mean he lived a yes it's tough to that he's gone but he, he, he reached 87 i don't i'm not saying that to Garner sympathy to say, you know, we had it lucky. My family had it lucky, okay? Um, and uh, <laughs> it's tough to process the grief, but I don't know how I would be making, getting through it if I didn't have something to throw myself into. Mm -hmm. And I think had there been no vacancy at The Athletic with the Washington job, and I, um, I would have thrown myself certainly into the magic Beat, as always, but um, in, certainly the the transition to the the Wizards beat has been in some in in some ways a blessing to to kind of dampen my ability to to dwell on that. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's healthy or not. I'm really don't know. And but for the for the I mean, I don't know whether three months from now, after I get a little bit more settled. It will hit me, um, but it hasn't sunken in yet. And for now, I think it, the fact that it hasn't it is um, is probably a good thing for me because I've dealt with a family loss before, um, and I didn't quite ha I didn't have something to really throw myself into, and that was tough. 
it was tough for me. Yeah. So there you go. The, uh, therapy session with Jake Chapman, <laughs> with Josh Robbins as the special guest star, and uh, and now uh, hope. People are, are hearing it, but that's the truth. That's what... Um, I feel like such a liar. I told you this would be just a slightly retrospective. <laughs> no, I'm happy to talk about it. And I, I don't believe... You know, I'm someone who's, like anyone in my role across... Journal, I mean, I've conducted thousands of interviews or been part of thousands of interviews. That's not an exaggeration. I don't believe that the interview subject should ever... Uh, limit the questions that she or he is asked yeah. so you ask whatever you like and uh and uh, if things are too too private if they're too raw and emotional i won't answer them or i'll try to answer them um i appreciate that and um i'm not sure there are many people in the industry um part particularly in 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 the uh the audio or, or video industry who I would feel more comfortable talking about this stuff with than you. Well, so, I appreciate that. Thank you, John. Um, yeah. All I, true. Think, I think the one thing about, and I don't, and I'm not speaking from experience, but, but from what I've read and from what I know is that, you know, it, it, as long as there's balance in your compartmentalization, then, then you'll never get blindsided. You know, I, I you seem like way too pensive a person to, pour 100% into work and ignore all of the other things that's happening. You you're able to 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 walk and chew gum at the same time. And so no, I don't think 3 months from now you're going to get blindsided um with you know all of the personal stuff. I think I think you have to have that balance. I mean, lord knows that nobody gets through the the personal side of their life without some sort of professional or tangible thing to dive into, whether it's playing racquetball or or be covering the Washington Wizards. I mean, it's there always has to be something to occupy your mind, right? Well, no and yes. I'm not suggesting that I don't understand that my dad's gone <laughs> or that um, or anything like that. What I am suggesting and outright saying or attempting to say is that uh, particularly at this time with this transition in which I'm hustling like you wouldn't believe to try to understand and become an expert on uh, a team that's not brand new to me, not even close, but something that I, I mean, I have work to do. Uh, what I am suggesting is I don't have a spare moment. I don't have a moment to spare. Yeah. And, and um, a moment which could otherwise be used to really... Um, dwell on myself. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The, it, it, it's not a bad time to start with a, a new team like that because that team is new to just about everybody. So let's talk about that mm. a little bit. I mean, it's not like you walked into to Beal and Wall and they've been there for eight years. Beal's still there, but just about everybody else is new. It's got to be kind of refreshing. And not the fact that they're playing good basketball helps out as well. Tell me about the team. Well, I'll... I'll I'll say this. I've never been, I, I utterly reject the theory that any sports journalist should, divide, uh, should derive any bit of um, extra juice based on the quality or the win-loss record of the team she or he covers. I, 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 think, that, I, I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. Um, what I try to do and what I think everyone in the industry who, who does it the right way 
approaches it. I think I think we all approach um, game forty three for a team that is um, nine and and thirty two, or excuse me, thirty four. Wait, thirty five. Anyway, my arithmetic's off today. <laughs> nine and thirty four. <laughs> I like that it should be approached as the seventh game of the finals. Yeah. That's how it should be done. The job should be done. And um, but yes, uh, it is. It's they're they're an interest. The Wizards are an interesting team. And by the way, the Magic are also an interesting team. But I digress. Uh, the Wizards are a team with a bunch of new players who play very significant roles. Who are high either starters or or high you know high leverage rotation players. The group includes, and because I'm talking here rather than writing, I'm going to forget somebody. <laughs> Montrez Harrell. It includes Spencer Dinwiddie, the, sp- the starting point guard. Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Holiday. Uh, it's it's, uh, and then a brand new coaching staff, almost exclusively. Um, first year head coach Wes Unsell Jr., whom some Magic fans should remember from. Jacques Vaughn's tenure. So what they have is, and and the NBA is finding this out, it is an extremely balanced roster, a deep roster, uh, one that has made a an impressive jump defensively from a bad defensive team, admittedly with a different set of personnel and a different coaching staff, to a team that for the moment um, as of yesterday, was fourth in the league in rating, defensive rating. So it, it's a fascinating team to see, and it, it, they're all fascinating to cover, but, and they're no exception. Okay, let's, uh, I want to go back to the – because I do think one of the things that I love about you is, like, how much you stress your objectivity. And I, as somebody with a journalism degree but who's been working for teams for most of my career um, – you know, I'm, I'm a little further down that slippery slope of objectivity and subjectivity. But can you at least admit that if a team is winning, they make better interview subjects? Uh, so I stress the objectivity thing. <laughs> a, it's true. But it's also because I'm a pompous ass <laughs> with a tremendous ego. And uh, I, I want to tell everybody how great I am. So uh, that's why. It's, no, it's really why. From the truth. What, what's really is is because this is a problem in all of journalism, yeah, not just sports journalism. It really is. And uh, you know, th- there's so many people I respect in sports journalism who do it the right way. And um, you know, I would say the, the vast majority of them do. But I do think certainly there's this misconception among fans, fans who who think it's. Um, a factor in the way we do our jobs that's not and and i do have an obligation to to set the record straight um do people uh i, w- I would think that someone who's being interviewed in a group session is tends to be in a better mood if the team has just won that that's that's certainly true um at the same time if a team is losing certain emotions are more raw and you can learn something um profound in those situations you can learn something profound at all times depending on 
uh, how open the person is who's answering the questions, and most importantly, the quality of the questions. Right, and I don't right. bat a thousand on oh, that. There's I that wish ego. I did. There's that ego. Again. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere, man. That ego, it's it, it, it infests everything. No, you're so. right, and and I will say that um, it, it it is a real issue in the NBA, I think specifically, but but certainly elsewhere. Um, you know, it's the the term journalist and beat writer has become so obscured. Now, a lot of times it's a fan of a team who is now publishing something, be it a podcast or a blog or an actual, you know, in, in an actual publication. I shouldn't say that, in an actual, you know, legacy publication, whatever. Um, it has. It's turned into, it's turned into, you can tell, okay, this guy's a fan and, and this guy's actually an objective journalist, guy or girl. Um, and I think, and I think it's an issue. I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of coverage that has just turned into sort of outright cheering from the press box. And that's, that's never a good thing. Well, now this is a, something I feel very, I feel strongly about everything we've discussed, but, um, you know, fans have every right to, to write blogs that do podcasts. Um, you know, it's their pat. I, I was a fan once too, and I lived and died uh, with sports as a kid. I get it. I get it. And um, but fans should not be journalists, and journalists never, ever, ever should be fans of. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't just say sports journalists. I I said journalists. And mm. uh, so if we were to talk about the political realm, right? How did I know you were going to go there, Mister DC? <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> It's a serious problem in political journalism these days where uh, the people who are opining on TV on both ends of the spectrum um, are um, rooting for one side or the other. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, I mean both ends, right? And sure. um, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why journalists um, are not respected as they used to be uh, and there are many many reasons for that many of which are not the journalists fault but this is one area where our profession must do better should do better can do better and um, you do the, I think what you and I have an infinite amount of time here on this podcast to discuss and break down the reasons I, but I don't think well you decide what you want to do I don't think um, Anyone wants to hear my theories on what's going on there. But basically, it comes down to this. The vast majority of beat writers who cover the NBA, and I know them all. I know every single one of them, and I respect every single one of them. They do it the right way. And uh, they, they are not fans, and nor should they be. And them not being, doesn't mean they're passionate Discipline, as I, there's one movie where there's a great quote, it was, discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. They love their jobs, they grow up, they wake up each morning excited to do their jobs, but one of the reasons why they are so good at their jobs is that they're not fans. Yeah. Um, one more question on this, because I just want your opinion on it. In the political, political realm, this comes up a lot. Um, is there a solution, like an independent body that, um, that dictates what is allowed to be considered news. 
Um, I believe they have some sort of something like that in England. Um, do you believe in oversight as far as as far as political journalism goes? No, I certainly do not. I certainly do not. Certainly not by an outside body that determines. You know, I do believe in the First Amendment quite uh, without without reservation. And, and um, I think anyone on has every right to, to voice all people have the right to voice their opinions and it's necessary that's part of what makes our country great um what i do think is that the journalists should police themselves mm. and the old baseball line well they well no i mean within their own or i think within their own organizations let's yeah. and let me just give you a very basic hypothetical here let's just say there's anybody at a news outlet, and I mean news outlet, who is covering um, politics, and she or he, uh, it's election time, and um, someone is, this is the most crude and most basic example, um, things are much more nuanced than this, that person uh, Let's just say that individual tweeted something that would indicate that uh, she or he favored one side or the other. Uh, you know, that's that's wrong to me. That's wrong to me. Um, and and I'm, I'm particularly talking about beat writers. There's, of course, a difference between a columnist sure. and and um, what I what. Is, you know, what we would say is a beat writer, someone who covers a candidate on the trail or covers Congress. or co And these principles also should be applied to sports journalism. Sports journalism is journalism. It's just in a different realm. Um, so each outlet should have its own code of ethics. I, I assume most of them do. And these codes of ethics uh, should expect... Uh, journalists to to behave uh, and work in toward objectivity. It's it, it's not that it's not that complicated. Not. What does make it complicated, I think, part of what's going on is that you know when I was a kid, for example, there were and five I swear different to God, places to get your news. Yeah, I swear to God, it wasn't that long ago. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, my family did. We we didn't have cable TV. We, you, you were just saying it right, and um, but now on cable, there are so many opportunities for networks to to have a place, uh, and, and of course there's social media, all of these things, and these new news networks on both sides of the aisle, right? On both sides of the aisle, uh, have programming to do, and one of the ways to have a, a an entertaining show is to have someone who is very, um, whomever it is, uh, who is uh, passionate, who is uh, eloquent, and when that happens, there there are there are opportunities for those individuals to voice their opinions. You know, so the, this, there is a vacuum in terms of the amount of space that exists, and depending on one's perspective. Our discussions of these things either have evolved or devolved, right. and so th some of this is the product of hey, there's real estate available, and 
people come in to fill the real estate and try to produce the the most entertaining shows they've got they can and I sure as heck didn't expect this podcast to go down this road <laughs> but uh, we always get off on something and but but I don't know this is this is stuff that I that really really fascinates me um, and we could put a pin in it because it's not like we're gonna solve it but like sometimes I do wonder if the if the solution would be to have some sort of a sanctioning of those actual news outlets just so that you have a a certification as opposed so i know okay this is actual news and this is opinion and i realize that a news outlet is going to have both news and opinion um but the idea that you know an uninformed person can't tell the difference between cbs news and you know this guy on youtube um, that, that bothers me based on the way that I grew up and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm completely way off base. I just, I just hate the idea that everything is lumped together when I know what goes into the New York times publishing something. I have a good example. Okay. So when I was a kid, we were talking about my dad, my dad, uh, would get home from work and, uh, he he went through a period where he watched the McNeil Lair News Hour on PBS. And every Friday there was a segment that I just loved, just loved. And I think I, I know he did too, where it was like the week, weekly roundup where either uh, Robin McNeil or Jim Lair or whomever, it might have been Judy Woodruff on, uh, on occasion when McNeil or Lair were off, uh, they would sit down with. Paul Gigot and Mark Shields. So Gigot is a, was a columnist, maybe probably still is. He he's on the right. Shields is on the left. Anyone watching that knew that going in. And you would never ever know what McNeil, Lair, or Woodruff thought. They were the ones merely asking the questions. Uh, where things are askewed today, and so that I thought I thought that was a role model for everything. And just like McNeil Lair now has um, the same segment, only with, with different people who I think do a, a spectacular job, um, what's different now is that during the week, all of these networks, again, both sides, um, have these shows that are essentially hour-long, and yet the people who are reporting the news during the week, and I mean reporting the news during the week, are then asked to give their opinions. And I think there, that's where things start to, to blur. And then once things start to blur, it is tough for a viewer um, to discern, you know, what is the form in which this individual is now talking? Is it what I used to come to expect of, of uh, reporting during the week, or is it is this person now in the middle of opining? Right. So it, it does it does get blurry, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's just kind of where we are. We're in we're in a blurred state of, <laughs> of journalism. <laughs> um, well, I don't think we fixed it, but I, I think we at least rooted around and maybe got down to. Um, the bottom of it. Awkward transition. What's Wes Unseld Jr. like? Well, he he's he, he's a, a superb tactician. 
uh, in Denver, he was responsible essentially as the defensive coordinator for, for that team. And he entered the job with the Wizards, joining a team in which uh, had improved lat the year before that, but prior to that, terrible defensive team. And last year, they were at best below average. Uh, and now, as I said before, they're, they're fourth. And as you know, one of the most difficult things for a coach to do is to get buy-in from, it's, a, it's, a, it's the truth in almost any sport, but to get buy-in from the players. And in the NBA, one of the most difficult ways to get buy-in is on the defensive end. And they are playing hard on the defensive end and they're getting, and they're doing it with a new team, a new coach. That's not easy to do. And um, Steve Clifford got it done uh, when he first got to Orlando under similar circumstances, but it took a little while. This has happened for the most part overnight with them, with the Wizards. Um, you know, Wes Unsell Jr. has earned a job for years ahead of this. A lot like Jamal Mosley, right? Um, Isn't that uh, crazy? I was thinking about that. A lot like Steve Clifford did as well. You know, the, these are all assistant coaches who, within the game itself, within the sport itself, everyone knows how talented they are. And for whatever reason, um, and there are unfortunately many reasons at work, um, it took, it's taken a long time, too long. And, um, now he, now he's making the most of, of this chance. And, and I don't even want to call it an opportunity because nothing's been given, right. <laughs> you know, and, and it's been earned and it was earned well before this as it was with Jamal Mosley and it was with Steve Clifford and, um, you know, that's, that's where it's not like, Steve, you know, Steve Nash, he, a great player, obviously also a great mind for the game, but he stumbled into a job and got it. Right. Right. Um, Jamal Mosley and Ime Odoka and, uh, and JB Bickerstaff and Steven Silas. I mean, all these well, guys in West junior, I mean, they, you know, and some of the, and, and it's funny because, some of those guys have the legacy names, obviously. And so, and especially with Wes in Washington, you know, it's a perfect fit. But but you're ignoring all of the work that Wes put in if you think that he got that job because of who his father was. That's true. Wes That's correct. Toiling, toiling for decades in this. Uh, That's and, correct. And, 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 is, and, and you know better than anybody what being an assistant coach in this league means. I mean, that is one of the most unforgiving things in the world. Well, I don't know better than anybody. Cause okay. <laughs> all right. All right. That's an, but, all right. But, unfair experience. But, uh, actually, you're not too, too far off in the sense that a beat writer, particularly one who, who worked for a newspaper for so long and has to file day after day, usually four or five times a day these days, um, now that's a grind. Yeah. That's a grind. And the assistant coaches, you know, that's a grind. And I, I don't think that's been properly I'm not sure fans quite understand it because I haven't done I and perhaps my colleague we haven't done a good enough job um, explaining it and part of the reason why is that some teams keep their assistant coaches off limits right 
right. Which is which is a whole other topic, which but which I'll just say very quickly doesn't serve the fans of the game well because if the fans of the game understood more about how the game is, you know, these these craftsmen, these artists within the game, not just the players who are artists and craftsmen too, um, if they understood just how um, how much work goes into it, it's uh, they they would love the game more. Well, see, there you go. I, you know, I realize that I dragged it through all sorts of stuff on this podcast, but you got a story idea out of it. Yeah, lots of them, and uh, it's it's been fun. I mean, I hope it's not over. I hope no, it- not yet. Um, but talk to our guys. Um, we had Nate Tibbetts on the podcast last week. He's another one, right? He's a name who's who's been bounced around for for jobs, and and we'll be lucky if he stays on this staff long. But he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. Um, and and the other guy that I. We only saw in like a, a group capacity, but Jesse Mermis is based on what I've seen. The guy's got personality for days. Like he is um, a very, very bright sort of funny interview subject. So I think if you want, if you want to, you know, I'll put a good in word for you. I'll put, put in a good word for you with George and Joel. Maybe I can get you hooked up. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't, I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't cover the magic anymore. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be so weird Saturday night. It's gonna be strange, isn't it? Yeah, I was just um, telling. Yeah, I, I just did a. Uh, like walking into your elementary school or something like that. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, kinda. I mean, I, it's gonna be. I switched schools a lot as a kid, and because um, I wasn't getting the job done at, at a lot of these schools, and uh, which is not, not. Uh, self-effacing humor that's the truth and uh it's 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 going to be weird because for hundreds upon hundreds of games i'd walk in there and my focus would be about the magic and saturday night i'm going to walk into that arena i mean mid-afternoon i'm going to walk into the arena really and uh you know i'll be uh focused on the wizards i liked um is it a renewed or is it like a new idea? I know you've done it before, but the, the photos that you're taking on the trips um, that you're posting on Twitter, especially Cleveland. Now that's my hometown, but a, they were beautiful. Are you just shooting those with your phone? And B, I think you wrote that you're trying to give fans a sense of place. And I, I thought like, what a good idea. Why don't more people do this? Well, I don't think I'm doing anything too, too different, but um, yes, I hope to do, Part of it is is that writers weren't able to go on the road last year, last season because of COVID. Yeah. But yes, I'm. I'd, I love taking photos. It's it's something I, I guess it's it's a hobby I have, which I and um, I'm a bad iPhone shooter, and I don't think I'm a good shooter generally. I, mean, I just can't uh, quite get the color and exposure right on all these things. But um, yeah, I love doing it and just so happened that Tuesday, Wednesday in Cleveland was a gorgeous day Looks with like a it. bright blue sky. And um, I do love covering games in Cleveland in part because it's a short walk from the hotel to the, to the, to the arena. But along the way there, um, you see, uh, you see pro- progressive field. Is that what they call it? The Jake, you know, the Jake named it after it, you. It's always, it'll always be the Jake to me. Yeah. And it, that's it. It's one of the most underrated stadiums in the country. I've actually went there once as just, um, just to watch a game, 
not to cover the game. And um, that's one of the very best, and and it's a beautiful spot. So I love it. Yeah. But yeah, but but that's um I, the the one photo of the of the side of the new um the new addition they put on to to it's I still say Q um Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse with with the uh with the city in the background the skyline in the background it's just gorgeous um so so you do you shoot them on a on an actual camera or is that just on your iPhone No, that was an iPhone photo. Yeah. No, that looks really good. They look great. Yeah. Um. All right. So how much? How much have you been paying attention to the magic? What are your early season impressions? Do you have any? Well, now I'm suddenly out of the out of the. Uh, I haven't watched. I haven't had the chance. To, I have not had the chance to watch. You know, I've uh, I have, as you said, dive, dove, divin. divin. I don't know. Head first into this into the new team, and so I have not had the chance. If I had had the time. Um, I would. I would continue to watch because it's fascinating. The, the same things that fascinated me as a B-Rider continue to, you know, if you're truly fascinated about something, it doesn't just, did, did that, sure. my snap of the fingers come through oh, here? Yeah. On oh, this yeah, we're getting it. We're okay, getting good, it. good, good, good. Nice it doesn't just disappear. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating, the Magic are a fascinating team and they're trying to do something that other teams have done but doesn't make it any less fascinating. They're trying to, to build through the draft, they're trying to develop players, and there's no, there are very few things more fascinating to me than player development. Yeah, I think. Do you think that's changed? I think fans' interest in, I always go back to Madden video games and dynasty modes and building, building teams. Like more fans, I feel like these days want to be a GM rather than actually be a player. Um, and I think the I I think one of the things that captures fans imaginations most is is rebuilding is is drafting right and the trade machine and the acquisition aspect of it and we see this whenever the trade deadline comes up or free agency for instance um as opposed to the actual outcome of games which maybe you know that might be simplifying it a little bit but um but i think you know as a writer or as somebody who's telling stories about a team you know a team where the magic are right now or even where the wizards are right now which is in sort of a not necessarily a rebuild but a change you know a, a transformation period i think sometimes that even more so than a winning team can can capture eyeballs and ears even more i think you're so right you're so you're you're so correct that's exactly what i've discovered through the years and um should have realized sooner and and you're you you said it a hundred times better than I could. I mean, you're a professional talker. I I'm a professional writer, and you said it in a way that I probably couldn't have said it. Is that and, is that bad though? No, just it. No, I think it's one. El it's a critically important element of the sport and the league, and yeah. um, where all true, you know, all true. And I think what we're all within the industry and and with and, and I'm speaking about journalists but I also think the teams themselves are discovering that um, in at some at, on some occasions the actual games are an app the results are somewhat of an afterthought yeah which wasn't maybe I'm misremembering my youth but it didn't seem like it used to be that way to me you know, there was no internet. Again, not that old. 
okay, not that old. Um, but it just didn't, just didn't seem like that was as much on my mind back then. You know, part of it is is that there are 82 NBA games. There are only 16 NFL games, yeah. uh, for for instance. But I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I was fascinated to see if such and such team would get. That couldn't be I, an example. I was so excited, so excited um, when the Baltimore Orioles signed Roberto Alomar. I mean, I was I was probably sky high for days after that. Yeah. And um, you know, the, a guy who tormented, I a guy who tormented the Orioles for years, and then the Orioles brought him aboard, and um, you know, so anyway. That's so there. I get it. I get it a hundred percent. The loudest I ever heard Jacobs Field was in the ALDS in 1996 against the Orioles. Bottom of the eighth, Albert Bell hit a grand slam. I think we ended up losing that series. And I went to a lot of those games in the 90s when the Indians were good and the Orioles were very good at that point. Um, but that one, that one grand slam, uh, against that Baltimore team, I'll never forget that noise and the shaking of the stadium um there's a quick aside for you I, before we go i have to ask you this and it's and i'm going to loop it back around it's probably not very good interviewing because we already sort of touched on this but um bradley beal and uh and the piece you wrote for the athletic and and brad discussing how he wasn't very engaged in in the, the cleveland game because of the passing of his grandmother um i really Bradley Beal seems like a very, very interesting subject. Um, there's there's a lot of depth there for sure. I really love the fact that he wasn't afraid to to admit that because a lot of times in sports, it's just we don't care what's going on. If you're playing, you have to be engaged. And it's like, no, these are human beings. Um, what was it like for you to get that perspective from him? And, and what did it mean to you, if anything, uh, personally, based on what you've been going through? Uh it resonated with me for many obvious reasons, yeah. um, and uh, I I, uh, I knew heading into that game that he was dealing with something, and um, so uh, as he was, and, and I could also see during warmups that he wasn't that you know he was pausing at times during warm-ups and uh and of course during the game uh he he, he didn't play like he normally plays I mean, it's one so i just sen- sensed that he was going through something i didn't know what it was but it, it it seemed like um it was something serious um and uh he came into the press conference room he was he was requested and um i i give him all the credit in the world for 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 following through on his obligation on a on a night when his obligation to the media and to the fans on a night where i would have a hundred and uh, i would have a hundred percent understood um why if he had declined right if he had declined you know this is not I get it, and I, I, 
it, it, it's saying a lot to say that the president of the PBWA um, would actually would would say that. But um, uh, I, I was taken aback when he he on his own uh, brought that up, and uh, you know, he he had some lines there that almost brought me to tears in the press conference because I was thinking about my dad and my brother Jeff. Uh, who we lost in 97. Um, you know, the, the people who play sports are um, otherworldly in their ability to, and their effort to play the sports that they do. You know, only 400 some odd people in the world could do what the people in the NBA do. The same in the Major League Baseball, and we can go on and on, you know, um, football the Olympic sports, like swimming, all that stuff. But, you know, we, we need to remember that these are people first. And so, you know, I thought, uh, everything he, he voiced during that post game press conference, uh, reminds us that these are, these are people, these are human beings who are every bit as fragile as those of us who, who uh, couldn't hit nine out of ten free throws if we tried. So um, I thought it was a, a remarkably human reaction, and uh, um, you know, you can remain objective and 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 know and empathize. You know, objectivity is not the is not does not go does not count count contradict um, empathy. Yeah. It's just the opposite. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and um, you know, in, I I have to acknowledge that in that moment I thought immediately of my dad, and I thought of my brother, and uh, so um, I get it. I mean, that was for me, and I think anyone who was listening, and I and I know this because I saw the very human reactions there. Um, you know that you don't just listen to that, and it's not in one ear and out the other. You know, um, I get it, and 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 I have to say credit to him uh, for um, for opening up like that. That I mean, I didn't. It I had to almost pull myself along to write about my dad. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I had to talk myself into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so it would be ridiculous for me to uh, hold, just expect Bradley Beal or anyone who had suffered a loss to do it without thinking about it or doing without doing it deliberately or not doing it at all. Was it therapeutic though, or did you feel like it was an obligation? Well, I or can't both. speak. I can't no, for speak. you, for you, for you. Um, maybe both. Maybe it, well, you I'm, felt I'm, like it was an I'm trying to think. First. Um, it may have been, it may have been therapeutic. What was really therapeutic was the outpour, was the outpouring that I got from people who I have never met, from people I have met, people I'm close to, uh, you know. And before you you do it, you don't know that that's what's going to come. I mean, that's, that's right. That's what vulnerability is, right? Is putting yourself out there and then hopefully you get the reaction that you got and you know that you're not alone. So I don't do much on, much stuff on Facebook, I don't, um, but I did say 
something that my dad had died. Um, and uh, I wasn't going to do it. I was ne not going to do it at all until someone said, you know, Josh, maybe you should. You know, you should. And uh, I did it. And I didn't, ex even people I barely, who I know and, you know, uh, they even the the quickest of condolences meant the world to me, and they helped me get through those initial days, and uh, and and the same was true with the written piece, um, in the athletic. So yes, it it, it was a therapeutic, um, it was a therapeutic moment for me. That's for sure. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing. Um for doing such a great job over the years with um, with something far less important, which is covering our basketball team here in Orlando. Um, all of us, I know I speak for everybody within the organization, the entire fan base, are sad to have lost you, but um, happy to see you and happy to see you smiling and doing what you do the best, and that's covering an NBA team. We're going to be excited to see you tomorrow night. Well, I'll be very disoriented, but... Um... The visitor's locker room is that way. Oh, wait, you're not allowed in the locker room anyways. It doesn't matter, right? Or are we, are we, uh, what is the locker room uh, protocol? I don't, I'm doing my post-game show. I have no idea. So for, because of COVID, they're closed at the moment. Yes. And the league has promised that they will reopen. Oh, and they've done it for like years. Pod, that sounds like a whole other Yeah, podcast. but, but, <laughs> but there are separate Zoom areas for the visiting and the home teams right, for, right. for logistical reasons. And so it's, I would not be surprised if out of, you know, in the same way a dog has been conditioned to expect uh, to be walked at any one time as our dog, Brian the Airedale, was, for instance. Um, you know, he would come up to us at at uh, 5.45 every, every evening expecting to be walked. And uh, in the same way I've been conditioned after the final buzzer to walk toward the post game, the main post game press conference room for the Magic, and so I expect that I will be walking there and then sit down and see people I've known for years, and someone saying, uh, "Josh, what are you doing here?" You Josh, well, Wes is over there. You got to go to the. That's right. Go to the workroom. Um, all right. Well, once again, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Uh, welcome back, and uh, thank you again for uh, for taking the time. All right, my pleasure, man. Thanks for asking these questions about me. <laughs> you, you got it. Uh, my name is Jake Chapman. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Chapman OM. Joshua B. Robbins on Twitter. Read all his stuff. And The Athletic will be back next week with another edition of the Mostly Magic podcast. Have a great week, everybody.